Today is one of those days where everything has fallen in place for you to really hear from God and hopefully receive a message from God that sets you on a course that's maybe different from the course you walked in with. Because we've been planning this Sunday for over a year, um, and camp has not ended yet. This is the final service of camp. Because here's what's happened. We decided a year ago that we were going to preach through the Ten Commandments this summer. We were just going to teach our people the Ten Commandments spiritually. We weren't even sure when youth camp was at the time, but when we found out we came back from youth camp, the day we were supposed to teach on the Ten Commandments, which is the Ten Commandments about students and parents, we really saw this as being a service where God wanted to move. And today may be your first time here ever. We're so glad that you're here. If you've come because your students are here today or because maybe one of your your grandkids is a student, we're so grateful and thankful that you're here. Maybe you've come today to see someone that you're close to be baptized. We're so glad that you're here. But I believe God has a special word for you today from the Bible through the Old Testament. And I just want to pray before we begin today and ask that your heart would be open to what God has to say. Father, in Jesus' name, I come to you And I just ask that you would open the heart of every person in this room, regardless of their faith background or faith commitment level, Lord, open their hearts, open their minds to receive from you what you would have on this final camp service where God has been moving so greatly. God, speak now to the rest of our church about how we can get engaged in this move of God with our students. We love you. We ask these things today in Jesus' name and everyone said... Amen. If you have a Bible, I'm in Exodus chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers are going to come down the aisle. They've got Bibles you can have. Um, Just wave at them and they'll give you one. You can use it or you can keep it. If you've got our app, you can fire that up now for our notes or you can pull the sermon notes out of the bulletin so that you can follow along. If you're brand new to church and all you're wondering is what time is it over, pull out the notes and as we get closer, we'll almost be done. So that's a good reason for you to have notes as well today. Um, That'll work you towards the end of the message. And we've been studying all summer the Ten Commandments. Because Jesus was asked a question in the New Testament, someone asked Jesus this. Hey Jesus, what's the most important thing for me to know spiritually? 39 books in the Old Testament that Jesus could have chosen to quote scripture from, and he just summarized it. He said, here's what you need to know spiritually. Love God, love people. If you know those two things, love God, love people, you're going to do really, really well spiritually. The Ten Commandments teach us how to do that. They teach us how to love God, And they teach us how to love people. So we've been learning the Ten Commandments so we might learn how to love God and learn how to love people. We read all ten and then we focus on one. So we'll read all ten, then come back and focus on the fifth commandment. Here's how they go as you read them in the Bible. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Commandment two, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Commandment number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guilty who misuses his name. Commandment four, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. It means separate, different. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that's in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. Commandment five, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. Commandment number six, do not murder. 
Commandment number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Commandment number eight, you shall not steal. Commandment number nine, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Commandment number 10, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. There are the 10 commandments. And here's the first thing you need to know. You don't have to keep them. We said, just as a quick review before we started studying the Ten Commandments, before God gave us any rules, He invited us to a relationship. In Exodus 19, God said, listen, do you want to be close to me? He reached out to a people that was a nation by the name of Israel. And he said, I would love for you to be my treasured possession. I would love for you to be a kingdom of priests, which means the world will know you are the people who really tells them who God is. I'd love for you to be a holy nation, which means set apart for a different purpose. I want your purpose to be to exist, to know God and to make him known. Do you want to do that? People of Israel could have said no. But the people of Israel said, yes, we would like to have that relationship with you. Only after the people accepted the relationship did God give them the rules. God didn't force these rules on people, but he said, if you want to be close to me, here's how. And he gave us 10 commandments that show us how to love God and how to love people. The first four commandments deal with the relationship that we have with God. Here's how we honor God. No other gods, no idols. Don't take his name in vain. Honor the Sabbath. The last six deal with people. Here's how we interact with the people in our life. But it should be interesting to note that the first people command addresses the family. The first people command, God said, here's how you love me. And if you want to love people well, you have to start with your family. Can I ask you a question this morning? How are things with your family? It's been one of probably the most surprising things to me, pastoring a church and finally getting to know people from all walks of life, how much tension exists in people's families between husband and wife, between ex-husband, ex-wife, between kids and parents, between parents and grandparents. Um, It's amazing to me how much tension exists in families. And God says, when you understand how following me helps you interact with people, we always start with the family. Is most important. And as we dig into commandment number five here, we're going to see a commandment that helps the family move together spiritually. And at Journey, we are all about family and we're all about family ministry. Our family ministry is a ministry made up of basically anyone under the age of 18 and their mom and dads, which is a lot of people in our church. Two weeks ago, we had, or last Sunday, we had 265 people at our church under the age of 18. Which means like we have an entire church that hasn't even graduated from high school yet. A pretty good-sized church that's just kids. When you add their mom and dads, there's a large portion of our church engaged in this family ministry. And God's been moving in our family ministry through Vacation Bible School and Youth Camp. Over the last two weeks, 43 people under the age of 18 have given their life to Jesus for the first time ever. 43 people under the age of 18 who were not connected to Jesus two weeks ago are today. 42 of those have signed up to be baptized, which means they not only want to follow Jesus, they want people to know that they want to follow Jesus, and they want to unpack their story a little bit. Huge things that God is doing in our family ministry. It's been unreal, to be honest with you. But today, we hit kind of the final piece of family ministry. We've hit all the elementary school students two weeks ago at Vacation Bible School. We hit all our students and teenagers last week at youth camp, and today now we add the parents into the family ministry jar, and we try to figure out how God tells us to move together through this commandment, commandment number five. Here's a few things you need to understand about commandment number five 
that I think will help our families engage spiritually together. Number one, commandment number five is the first command with a promise. Like it's the first, it's the first commandment that says, if you do this, this will happen. There's a promise given for following the command. Exodus 20, 12 says this, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Many years later in Ephesians chapter 6, a New Testament book, Paul started a church in a city called Ephesus. He taught the families how to interact spiritually and he reminded them. He started with the fifth commandment when he said, here's how families should live spiritually. He said, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. And the promise is kids who obey and honor their mother and father have a great chance to live long in the land and to continue to be the people of God. But this is also the first commandment with a prerequisite. See, it's the first command with a promise, but it's also the first command with a prerequisite. You say, what, what is a prerequisite? A prerequisite defined by Webster's Dictionary is this. A prerequisite is a thing that's required as a prior condition for something else to happen or exist. So God says, honor your father and your mother. But before he ever tells children to honor their parents, he tells parents to honor the Lord. Before God commanded a single person under the age of 18, honor and obey your mom and dad. He told all the parents over the age of 18, Don't have any gods before me. Don't have any idols and learn how to make God significant in your life and obey the Sabbath. Basically, what God did is he made it really easy on the next generation. Let me let me talk to you about this for a minute. I want you to think about this. God gave parents four commands to obey. One, two, three, and four. And then he basically told kids, you only have to obey one. If the parents will obey these four and you just become like your parents, you got it. So basically, commandment number five, when you really, really think about it, shows us that parents are supposed to be kind of the Cliffsnose version of Christianity for their kids, for their families. Y'all know what Cliff Notes are? Certainly, I'm not the only one who tried to get out of reading an entire book sometime in college just to read the notes so I could take a test. Cliff Notes are summaries that make learning material easier and faster. God built cliff notes into the Ten Commandments this way. He basically told parents, here's how you follow God. And then he told kids, if you want to learn how to follow God really easy and really fast, just follow your parents. You don't have to memorize all four, just follow your parents. See, the prerequisite to honor your father and mother is mom and dad honor God. That's why the Apostle Paul correctly taught in Ephesians 6, honor your parents in the Lord. Paul said God was talking about honoring your parents and following your parents spiritually. This commandment is not about make your bed. This commandment is not about brush your teeth. This commandment is not about flush the toilet for God's sake, if you have a teenage boy. This commandment is, you know, is not about eat your vegetables, right? This commandment, according to the Apostle Paul, is honor your father and mother in the Lord. Paul is basically saying what you see your mom and dad do spiritually, you do that too. That'll make it easier and faster for you to know who God is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, the apostle Paul had described himself as a father to the church in Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he said this about being a spiritual father. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Paul basically said, listen, I don't have time to answer every question. I don't have time to teach every lesson. 
We, we don't have enough hours in a day for you to really understand it. So here's the Cliff Snows version of Christianity. Just do what I do because I'm doing what Jesus does. And if you become like me, you'll probably become more like Jesus. Mom and dad, is that statement true in your house? If your students who have come home from camp this week become like you, will they become more like Jesus than they were at camp last week? If your students who came home from camp this week begin to read their Bible like you read your Bible, will they be more like Jesus? If your students that just came home from camp this week begin to pray like you pray, will they be more like Jesus? If your students this week who just came back from camp use the language that you use, will they be closer to Jesus? If your students this week come home from camp and they forgive people who hurt them like you have forgiven people who hurt you, will they be closer to Jesus? Hey, Dad, if your son come home, comes home this week and begins looking at the things on the Internet that you're looking at on the Internet, will they be closer to Jesus? You see, there's a prerequisite of commandment number five where God tells the kids to follow the parents because he's told the parents to follow him. And God says, I'm just going to make this real easy on the kids. Follow your parents as they follow God and you'll get a lot closer to God. You know, when I was young, there were two really annoying games that we played at school and in the back of the car as we were going places. Um, one of them is somehow teenage boys just learn how to annoy their sisters. You know, if you're a sister and you, you've ever had a brother, if you're a brother, if you've ever had a sister, there's this kind of copycat game where you just get bored with everything, so you start saying and doing everything that your sister's doing just just because, just because you're bored and it breaks the routine of stuff. Um, and you just play copycat. It's just you say everything that they say and you just repeat and do everything they do. It's really annoying if you are the person being copied. I mean, like, you just want to hit someone and then hope they hit themselves. It's like, you know, does this really work? I punch you, you punch yourself. Um, but there's another game that's equally as annoying. And it's the game Simon Says. Y'all ever play the game Simon Says? The purpose of the game Simon Says is to get you to do something I do instead of something that I say. Remember, so, so, you know, Simon says, pat your stomach. And then people pat their head, and you're like, oh, I got you, you're out. You see, Simon says, says, um, don't do what I do, do what I say. Do you know a lot of people parent that way? Do you know the worst kind of spiritual parenting is Simon says parenting? Simon says parenting says this, I'm living my life this way spiritually as a parent, but you live your life that way. Simon says parenting says, read your Bible, but I don't ever read my Bible. Simon says parenting says, you know, you should forgive someone who hurt you, but I never forgive anyone who hurts me. Simon says parenting says, be respectful to your teachers, but your kids never hear you be respectful about your bosses. Simon says parenting says, do what I say, not what I do. That's how to stay in the game. And I think there's way too many parents who have a Simon says parenting philosophy. You know, I'm an adult, I'm mature, I've lived a lot of life. You know, just do what I say, not what I do. Commandment number five is the first commandment with a promise, but it's the first commandment with a prerequisite. Kids, follow your parents because I have taught them how to follow me. Secondly, and this was mind-blowing to me as I began to understand and study commandment number five, the promise given to the children flowed through the parents, not from them. It's actually not your promise to give. You can't say to your kids, Obey me and you will live long. It's not your promise to give. It's God's promise. And God's promise flowed through the parents, not from the parents. Look at verse 12 again. God says, honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. You need to underline that last part from live long all the way through the end of the verse. 
Live long in the land your God is giving. When I read that verse, I thought, wait a minute, I've heard that before. And I began to study Old Testament scripture looking for that phrase. And what I learned is this phrase, live long in the land your God is giving you, is a phrase given to the adults of Israel over and over in the Old Testament. It was given in a form to Abraham. It was given in a form to Isaac and Jacob. It was given to Moses. It was given to Samuel. It was given to David. It was given to Solomon. The prophets often said it. It was a phrase given to parents saying, hey parents, hey adults, if you will live faithfully, then generations after you will stay here and live faithfully as well. And when I really began to dig deep into the scripture, it could not have been any clear that commandment number five is way more for the parents than for the children. On the screen, Deuteronomy chapter 11 is going to pop up. About 40 years after God gave the Ten Commandments, the Israelites were getting ready to cross over into the Promised Land, which we now know as Israel, uh, on a Middle Eastern map, Israel-Palestine. You might see it called both things there. But in Deuteronomy chapter 11, God said, let me help you understand these commandments just a little better. Listen really closely. Deuteronomy 11 says, you must love the Lord your God and always obey his requirements, decrees, regulations, and commands. Verse 2 couldn't be any clearer. Keep in mind that I'm not talking now to your children who have never experienced the discipline of the Lord your God or seen his greatness and his strong hand and powerful arm. They didn't see the miraculous signs and wonders he performed in Egypt against Pharaoh and all his land. They didn't see what the Lord did to the armies of Egypt and to the horses and chariots, how he drowned them in the Red Sea as they were chasing you. He destroyed them and they've not recovered to this very day. Your children didn't see how the Lord cared for you in the wilderness until you arrived here. They didn't see what he did to Dathan and Abram, the sons of Eliab, the descendant of Reuben, when the earth opened its mouth in the Israelite camp and swallowed them along with their households and tents and every living thing that belonged to them. But you have seen the Lord perform all these mighty deeds with your own eyes. Therefore, you adults, be careful to obey every command I'm giving you today so that you may have strength to go in and take over the land you're about to enter. If you obey, you will enjoy a long life in the land. The Lord, you're swore to give to your ancestors and to you, their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. God said, these commands can't be for the kids. They don't even know me. But if you will follow the commands and your kids will follow you, we're golden. That's how it works. You see, the promise of God of long life in the land would be a result of the parent's faith, not a reward for the child's faith. It's not like the child has to earn a love relationship with God where he then will bless them because they obey their parents. But it's that the parents are so close to God and the kids are so close to their parents that they just kind of fall in line with their faith and they all live long in the land. Shouldn't surprise us that God is connecting family so much in the Ten Commandments. He's already done it twice. In commandment number two in Exodus 24 through 6, God said, here's a commandment for you that's going to impact your children. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, on earth, beneath, or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. It's an interesting commandment. It sounds pretty threatening. God's not threatening. He's just being real. God's saying, if you don't learn how to keep me first in your life, your kids won't learn how to keep me first in their life. And he said, for three or four generations, they're going to live with terrible consequences. About 400 years later, the Israelites would be taken into captivity for between 70 and 100 years. What is that? Three to four generations. Why? The parents got away from God, and the kids didn't know how to follow God, 
and the grandkids didn't know how to follow God, and the grandkid, great-grandkids didn't know how to follow God. God said, parents, I'm relying on you to teach your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids. Because if you miss it, man, an entire family could miss it for an entire span of generations, and that's what happened. We see it in commandment four again, the commandments of the par- towards the parents tied to the children. Talking about the Sabbath. God said, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter. God says, if you keep this commandment, your kids will keep this commandment because they're following you. So mom and dad, how are you doing? How are your kids doing? Because a lot of times they're trying to grow up to be just like you and your faith becomes their faith. And the level you live your faith is the level they live their faith until they come back from a camp like this and they are like so on cloud nine spiritually, like they can't even keep their head on straight, except for the first three days where they just sleep like 24 hours a day after coming home from camp. But besides that, they're so excited. Here's what you need to know. Most of your students will go from wherever they are now at camp, and by Christmas, they'll be one step below your faith level. It's just the way it happens. You are way more responsible for how strong they stay after camp even than they are. Now, they're teenagers. They should be more responsible. But it's just the biblical principle. Kids usually run right behind their parents spiritually. And if they don't, there's tension. It's just hard. So mom and dads, what is God saying to you spiritually? You see, when a child honors you and your faith commitment, they grow into their own faith commitment. God said this is the way it works. Now, every now and then there will be a child who won't honor their parents. And their faith commitment, and they'll be away from God, but that's on the child. But God said, when you have a generation of parents who won't honor God, the kids have no chance at all because they own the faith of their parents. So when a parent doesn't have a faith commitment, it's hard on the child. It's not impossible, but it's going to be more difficult for your student if your faith commitment is real low or non-existent than it was if you leaned in with them and says, I'm, I'm going to support you in what you're doing. Do you know that your teenager has come back from camp and the opinion that matters most to them is yours, mom and dad? Do you know all the way home on the bus they were thinking, and what's my mom and dad going to think? Will they come to church on Sunday? What are they going to think when they see me singing up there in the risers? Will they think that's weird? If I raise my hand, are my mom and dad going to think I'm weird? If I want to be baptized, will my mom and dad support that or will they think that's weird? With everything that went on spiritually, you know who's on on the front of their mind? You. Wonder if you're going to support them. Wonder if you're going to be proud of them. Wonder if you're going to be happy for them. Wondering if you're going to bring them to participate in what's going on now or whether you're just going to check out. Your faith is important to your children. And here's what I found out. Number three, a parent's faith is either the greatest faith opportunity or greatest faith obstacle that their child will ever face. You see, if you're running ahead of your teenager spiritually, your child spiritually, the greatest opportunity they have in their life is to grow up and become like you. But if the faith thing is not important to you and it's become really important to your children now, there's going to be an obstacle that they have to overcome in in following Jesus when mom and dad don't think it's important. It's not that it can't be done, but it's certainly more difficult. It's an obstacle when you're trying to lean into a faith that your parents don't support. In Ephesians 6, 4, after the apostle Paul told children, obey your parents in the Lord, he he then told the parents what that means. 
speaking to the fathers, because that's how you would have written to all parents in the day. He said, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That word exasperate, Paul's basically saying, don't make it hard on your kids to follow Jesus. Don't make it any more difficult than it already is. If you only knew the things going on in their school, on their teams, in their locker room, at their jobs, these teens are going to struggle to follow Jesus whether or not you love Jesus more than anyone else in the room. Don't make it harder on them to follow Jesus. Don't exasperate your children. But Paul says you can do these two things for them. Bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. The training would be the practice of living like a Christian. As a parent, you are responsible spiritually to try to train your child to live like a Christian. Now, they may reject it and say, that's not for me. But it's your job while they're under your household to continue to put them in positions to win spiritually. How many of our kids would even make it through the school year if we told them school is optional for you? I mean, think about that. How many of us mean parents make our kids get out of bed and go to school? Because that's, that's the pushback I get when I say, you know, bring your kids to church. Well, they don't want to go to church. Oh, well, do they want to go to school? Like, do they want to get a job? Do they want to eat vegetables? I mean, like, do we, do we want to let our kids do what they want? Our job as parents is to be the parents. So we train our kids up and we put them in positions to understand who Jesus is. They may flunk algebra, but it's not going to be because they didn't show up because we'll keep bringing them, we'll get them tutors, we'll make sure they go to class. Hey, if they don't want it, they don't want it. Our job as a parent is to make it easier, though, on them. And then the Bible says bring them up in the instruction. That's the knowledge of how to live like a Christian. I wish you could have sat in the room and listened to your kids talk about Jesus this week after midnight when everything kind of finally slowed down and things quieted down. The conversations that your kids had, that your brothers and sisters had, that your grandkids had about who Jesus was, was unbelievable. Their questions were deep. They were serious. They were good. And some of you said, well, I've never had a faith conversation with my child. When's the last time you ever stopped what you were doing and said, hey, let's just talk about spiritual things. How you doing? Have they never opened up to you spiritually because you've never given them that opportunity or they might think you think that's weird if they would do that? You see, if we will bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord, they'll have a chance spiritually. No one can make their children choose Jesus, but we can engage them in the practices of living like a a Christian. One of our middle schoolers this week, on the last day we had share time, we had all the guys in one room, we had all the girls in one room, and Pastor Ryan and I were kind of bouncing back and forth making announcements, and one of our middle schoolers kind of spoke up. And the question was, just tell us what God's done in your life this week at camp. And one of our middle schoolers spoke up and said, you know, I just can't tell you how close I feel to God after this camp. I can't tell you what God has done to me. And he said, it feels so good to be close to God again. He said, when I was younger, we used to come to church every Sunday. And like every Sunday, I got to feel close to God. But then my older siblings started playing competitive sports and we never come to church anymore. And they started crying and they said, it's just hard to feel close to God when you never come to church. And those of us with the driver's license in the room basically said, you won't have that problem anymore, call us. We'll come get you. Because it is close. It is hard to feel close to God when you never come to church. We don't practice the things of Christianity. And we can teach them who Jesus is and how to live as his follower. You know, one of the greatest, most moving moments of camp for me this week, I got to speak every morning to all the students there. And on Thursday morning, I asked this question. I said, if, if you've made a commitment spiritually this week, 
If God has called you to do something or to change something or to reach someone, if you've made a spiritual commitment this week that deep down you don't think you can keep once you get home, I want to pray for you. So just stand up. Hundreds of kids all over the room stood up saying, I'm making some commitments this week that I honestly am afraid I can't keep when I get home. With hundreds of kids across the auditorium standing, I called all the youth. I said, every youth leader that can fit on the stage, on the stage. And there were probably a hundred youth leaders on the stage. And I said, look at these kids, look them in the eyes. They're telling you they can't do it without your help. They're telling you that, that they're trying to stretch their faith to a level that they can't, can't keep it unless you help them. Look in their eyes. Know who they are and then help them. I wish I could have called the parents to the stage instead of the leaders. I wish you parents could have seen your students saying, I want to live for Jesus in a way that I don't know is really possible. I need someone to help me. I wish you parents could have stood on the stage and seen your students say, I'd like to be deeper, but I don't know if it's possible. Because the most committed student in our youth ministry is going to be at church three or four hours a week, but they're going to be in your home every day. They can't do it without you. They can't do it without you. They need your help. So you can lean in and become a great faith opportunity, or you can... You can stay checked out spiritually. You can be an obstacle. You could even lead them astray if you're not careful. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 6 and 7, Jesus speaks about people who take children and students and teenagers who are turned on to God and lead them astray. Listen to what he says. Jesus says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that are going to cause people to stumble. Such things are going to come, but woe to the person through who they came. Like, Jesus just went gangster on us there. Like, did you hear that? Jesus just went mobster. Jesus Hoffa just said, listen, you want to cause a Christian teenager to sin? I'm going to tie something heavy around your waist, and I'm going to throw you in the Hudson River. Like, that's what Jesus just said in Matthew chapter 18. It's like, man, homeboy just went crazy on these people causing teenagers to sin. So I'm sitting in Israel a few years ago. One of my favorite places to eat in Jerusalem is a place called Cardo Pizza. The Cardo is a first century walkway that Jesus and his disciples would have most certainly visited. I always take our people there and right up the stairs from the Cardo is a, is a pizza place that I think is one of the best pizza places in Jerusalem. They got pizza, they got ice cream, they've got ice cold Diet Cokes. I mean, after running around the Middle East for a couple days, it's just nice to sit in the shade, eat some pizza and ice cream and drink a Diet Coke. If you ever go to Israel with me, you'll go to Cardo Pizza. I take all our groups there. First time I was there, I'm sitting in the shade outside Cardo Pizza, eating my pizza and my ice cream. And I look over and I see this next to the table. And I ask my guide who's with me, I said, what's that? What's that, what's that wheel in the thing? Um, and he said, that's a millstone. And I said, okay, how does that work? And he said, well, they, you know, they, they didn't have combines and tractors like we have. So he said, they, you know, they break the wheat and all, this, all the kernels of wheat would fall into that bottom section and then they would roll that millstone on it and it would crush the wheat into flour. Then they would take the flour and they would make bread. He said, that's a millstone. He said, remember what Jesus said about the millstone? And I said, remind me. And Jesus said, he said, remember Jesus said, before you cause a little person or a teenager who believes in Jesus to sin, you should consider tying a millstone to your neck and jumping in the ocean. I said, oh, that's good. Get a picture of me. So I went and stood behind the millstone. I thought, I just... I want people to know what it looks like to have a millstone tied around your neck. This is no joke. Like Jesus was saying, 
I take the faith of young people deadly serious. And before you take your young person who believes in Jesus and teach them how to not follow Jesus, grab a millstone hanging around your neck and go swimming. His word's not mine. Jesus takes seriously our leadership of our kids. So parents, how are you doing? How will you do moving forward? You know, can I I be honest with you about something? I never wanted to be a pastor. I thought it was the worst job in the world, and I never wanted to do it. When I first started in youth ministry and I felt like God was calling my heart to leave the teaching profession, which I was going into, I wanted to be a teacher and a coach and become a youth pastor. I said, God, I'll be a youth pastor, but I will never be a senior pastor. I never want to lead a church. That's not for me. I love teenagers. I am not interested in running a church. It's just not what I'm built to do. I felt like at that time, God said, okay, if you don't want to do that, you don't have to do that. But here's what happened. I went to youth camp year after year after year after year after year. And I watched kids come back from youth camp fired up spiritually. And I watched them walk back into homes where their parents just didn't care. And I watched all their fire just go out. And year after year after year, I kept getting more of a burden to help parents understand what teenagers needed. And one day God hit me and said, you know how you said you never wanted to be a a pastor, Christian? If you really want to help teenagers, you have to show their parents how to follow me. You see, the greatest youth pastors in the world are teaching the parents how to, follow, how to follow Jesus because if the parents follow Jesus, the kids don't even need a youth pastor. Like, they are the youth pastor if they follow Jesus well. And the whole genesis of me thinking, and maybe I should be a pastor, was me trying to figure out how to get parents to follow Jesus so it would be easier on the kids. And I think this is the reason why. I'll be 40 in about a year and a half. And almost all the people I hang out with and spend time with are between the ages of like 35 and 45. They're, they're transitioning in life. And we're having conversations as Jesus is shaping us and, you know, we're being changed from who we were and we're making new decisions and we're trying to keep a Sabbath and we're, try, we're trying to do things different in our life. There's this tension point that all of us, even at nearly 40, it's like, man, I've, I've always had such respect for my mom and dad and how they live life. But like, as I begin to do things different spiritually, I realize my life is going to look a little different than my parents' life did. And you're almost afraid to offend your parents. It's like, even as a grown man, it's like, I know what Jesus has called me to, but like, I know what my parents always did. And like, would it be wrong to do things a little differently than my parents did them? See, it's ingrained in our DNA to want to grow up to be like mom and dad, which is why God told mom and dad, follow me. Your kids want to grow up to be like you. So follow me. Don't make them have to choose between following Jesus and following me. Because even at 40, as they watch you move into being grandparents, they're going to want to be just like you. And there's going to be a tension anytime they think, I mean, following Jesus looks like this, but man, I always saw my mom and dad do this. God says, let's put those together. Parents follow God. Kids follow parents. And it really, really works easy. So mom and dad, where are you spiritually? And will you step up? Not just for the sake of your students, but for you, your own, your own walk, your own connection and relationship with God. Will you step up? Will you step back? 
Many of you sent your students to youth camp this week because you wanted them to have an experience that you had when you were a teenager, but the reality was the last time you felt close to God was when you were a teenager. So you wanted them to be like you when you were a teenager, but your heart hasn't beat spiritually for a long, long time. My prayer is that today maybe your heart is breaking a little bit, realizing how you need to get back into the game because God only breaks our heart so he can build our spirit. He has to break our heart so he can build our spirit and create us into what he wants us to become. So mom and dad, will you step into the game today? Will you bow your heads and pray?